black boys. I like them white boys. I like them Asian boys. Hey guys, welcome to Slash Report. Sorry we're tardy this week, but uh, the Hoyt and I had a good excuse, and it's called We Were Drinking Buckets and Buckets of Sangria yeah. in Spain. No, that's accurate. So, sucks that you guys weren't there. But this week, we have some interesting stuff up on the slate for you, including but not limited to our very first author talk with the Hoyt, since you can't actually escape my grasp. I hate she you. Can. Yeah, she says can, but really it's basically that I don't want to at this point. Like, Stockholm straight into this. Oh. <laughs> I love how we're starting this off on a low note. No, it's good. You guys are really classy. Uh, it's how we roll. It's who we be. All right, so it's been a while, actually, since we've talked about television other than NCIS. So we decided we would revisit two other shows that are demonstrably bad for us. Three, because there's one you didn't watch, but I need to talk about. Okay, well, we're going to start with Fringe which I just finished watching like an hour ago. And you could tell because MCLUS just had like a series of instant messages for me chronicling how badly I was crying at the end of this week's episode. It was like, oh God, my feelings. Oh God, they're hurting my feelings. Then, oh God, I'm feeling weepy. And then like just sobbing, like all lowercase sobbing. <laughs> and then like sobbing so hard. And then like, oh my God, oh my God, for like six lines. And then finally like still crying, still crying. We'll be crying forever. The best was that I watched it like two hours before you and you were watching Good Wife and all you had was messages from me being like, my feelings, all the feelings. Fuck these shows. They know how to hate yeah, us. Friends. Yes. So obviously spoilers. Fuck just for Yes, anyone. like we always have spoilers. Just consider that for the rest of ever. Um, we'll spoil forever. Yeah. Okay, so to summarize, time is behaving weirdly, and everyone, including Peter, thinks it might be Peter's fault. And shit's happening like three quarters of an apartment building will suddenly be as though it had been on fire for like 20 hours, except that there was no fire. It's just like the remaining damage of a fire. Um, and like babies turn into infants and like shit gets real. And everyone's like, Peter, what have you done? Who are you, you crazy stranger? He's like, and it, it's like, I don't know. Maybe you should let me out of here and let me fix all of your problems for you. Oh, the other thing to to specify in case you guys haven't caught up with Fringe this season or have never watched Fringe before, at the end of last season, Peter vanishes because he he's was being erased from time. He's erased from time, and then at the beginning of this season, time pukes him back out again, naked into a lake, which. J.J. Abrams, for all of the fucking tears I have shed over this show, the least you could have done was let me see some naked pasty. But no, you kept him inside brown, ugly lake water. You are an asshole. You should just watch one week. He's uh, quite naked in that movie. It's great. It's different. My and it has a happy Pacey's. ending. I know, but my, my love for Pacey is, like, separate from my, like, love for Peter Bishop. Anyway, we'll continue. Where's a hate, Pacey? Anyway, so, but the thing is, now that he's been puked out by time, nobody remembers him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no one remembers him. And they all His think he's a weirdo. doesn't remember him. Olivia doesn't remember him. Oh, the saddest is when he's in the hospital and he's just like, my name is Peter Bishop. I'm, I'm with Fringe Division. Let me talk to Olivia. Let me talk to Walter Bishop. And Olivia walks into the room and he's like, oh God, Olivia, thank God. And she's like, who the fuck are you? And you're like, <gasps> my heart. No, 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 no. See, okay, that was the saddest thing until this week when Walter was like, I refuse to make eye contact with you. I'm going to refer to you as the subject because my heart is breaking. And I can tell that you're probably my son, but I already tried to help a little boy who wasn't really mine to help. 
and I killed him. So I refuse to develop feelings for you, and I'm going to hide in my sad room inside the lab while Peter looks at him dolefully from the other side of the door. And I was just like, oh, just kill me. Just it's, kill me. It's not even just that, but okay, in the opening when Peter's dreaming of being at the park with Olivia and Walter, and Walter's like playing That's on the like swing a- set, and Olivia and Peter are like maybe going to make out in the grass, and you're like, this is the most beautiful moment. And then she's like, you're the problem. And he wakes up. Go. All the feelings. Yes. Every feeling. Okay, but the actual plot the of this. Thing. Yes. Right. The actual plot of this was even sadder. Oh my God. Yes. Do you want to go for it? Yes. So basically what happens is all these time events are happening and everyone thinks initially that it's some sort of ramification from Peter's sudden appearance. And once they start actually plotting these things out in the map, they realize that's not the case. And they find an electrical engineer who is married to a theoretical physicist. But what had happened was about three years ago, she was suddenly struck with a very, very early onset, fast moving case of Alzheimer's. So she's basically been reduced to, like, very late stages of Alzheimer's, like, can't really remember him, constantly confused, like, lives, and she's really, like, she doesn't, she's not doing well, and he's not doing well taking care of her. But kind of the point is, is that he took her theories that she was working on and put them into practical application and built essentially, like, a time machine that would keep them in a bubble that would protect them from the progression of time. And every time he turns it on, every time he he turns it on, It rewinds time for years. At this point, he can have it going for 47 minutes or something like that. And she reverts back to, like, healthy, happy version of her. And that's what's been causing all this. Like, he didn't know the side effects of this. He just knew that he was trying to get his wife back for as much as he could. And that she had to finish her work so he could keep the time bubble in place forever. And he wouldn't lose her. And it was just, like, hysterical sobbing. Just, like, really embarrassing, like, honking noises of crying. It was so tragic. Okay, so this is where my, like, if they rebooted numbers, this is how I would want them to do numbers. Bear with me for a minute. It's so beautiful. You're going to love it, and you're going to hate it. (laughs) Um, Remember that when their mom dies in numbers, Charlie, like, locks himself in the garage and is just working on P versus NP? Uh, Yeah, I read a lot of incest fic about that. Of course you did. You filthy, filthy pervert. Um, Hi, Rolfie. Numbers, the Jewish incest math crime-fighting family value show. I know into incest pick if it wasn't for numbers yeah me too um but the point is if they rebooted numbers wouldn't it be amazing if instead of working on p versus np he locks himself in the garage working on that theorem to get his mom back for like 10 minutes at a time like a little boy charlie just like working on this and getting like 10 minutes of his mom and not being able to tell his family and uh, his brother having to like investigate shit all over the city that's going wrong and they don't know why but it's because charlie just misses his mom so much we're fucking awful. Like, I just stopped crying. Like, 14 minutes ago, I just stopped eating and crying. Like, why would you do this? But isn't it brilliant? It doesn't mean that I hate you any less, okay? I'm, I'm so good to you. I'm just trying to expand your horizons. Yeah, you keep making that I don't face want the at horizon. me. I want my horizons to be loose, Em. They're not going to be loose. I just want them to, like, maximum, but, you know, retain that elasticity. Wow. Yeah, you're welcome. That went to, like, <laughs> went to a really bad place really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm champion. We're classy. We're so classy. All right, moving on from that disgustingness. 
She was beautiful. Basically Fringe, all the tears. If you haven't watched Fringe, it's only like season four or something, right? Three or four? Yeah. Watch Fringe. Four. It's... I don't know. Here's the thing, though. As much as I love Fringe, and I think everyone should watch it, I also don't know that it's a show that everyone would get into. Even though I think that, like, the emotional currents in this series are better than anything else on television, other than The Good Wife. I don't know, because in theory, I should not like Fringe, because I hated The X-Files. Yeah, and the show is gory. It is gory, um, and if you like The X-Files, it's a lot like The X-Files, but I like it, and I like neither gore nor The X-Files. I do like feelings. There's a I lot of feelings and time travel. Feelings. <clears throat> it's like every feeling in the world compressed into one series. Fucking J.J. Abrams, go make your Star Trek movie. I know, seriously, stop making me cry with Fringe and make Trek 2, you asshole. Like, make me cry with Trek 2. I don't want to cry at Trek 2. Dude, we're totally gonna cry at Trek 2. Let's not lie to ourselves. You better be in Canada when that comes out. If we're in Canada and we go see Trek 2 together, MK, you realize that will be a disaster. It will. We'll but we'll disgrace ourselves in front of the entire population of Toronto, should that happen. To give you the background, the amazing background, when Trek 1 was coming out, one of my best friends, Jen, who was my roommate in university, um, her father raised her upright by training her to memorize the uh, model number of the USS Enterprise, among other important Star Trek facts. And I was like, Jen, the Star Trek movie is coming. And she was like, yes. And I already have a shirt that says, go, go boldly. And you have a red shirt and one of those, like, pins that you can press and it makes the, like, beam me up whatever communicator sound. And I was like, are we doing this? And she was like, hells yes, we are doing this. Opening night, Jen and me and, like, one million other people in, like, cosplay at the Varsity in downtown Toronto just crying our eyes out at the first five minutes of Star Trek being like, oh, why did he have to die? And here's well, the thing. thing about that was as I okay so I have zero track background right like I, I like don't really get sci-fi for the predominant part like and if you check my history of sci-fi affection it's all sci it's not really sci-fi hardcore it's more like all sci-fi that's like abusive with feelings and that's like the only kind of sci-fi that I'm interested in yeah so like when people drag me to see track I was kind of like oh okay well Zachary Quinto's hot as fuck so I'll show up for that um and everyone's like, by the way, you're going to cry in the first five minutes of the movie. I was like, why would I cry in the first five minutes of the movie? They're like, someone dies. And I was like, whatever. It's the first five minutes of the movie. How much emotional attachment could I have to anybody in the first five oh, minutes of the movie? Oh, the attachment in the it, world. It was horrible. Like, I truly embarrassed myself in that theater. Like, I didn't have tissues. I didn't have napkins. It was me clutching, like, the bottom of my sweater, like, holding it up to my face, trying to muffle <laughs> Oh, it was bad. It was bad. It was I should have known. It was J.J. Abrams. I should have known that he was going to do this to me. Luckily, I always carry a bunch of, like, really nice, clean handkerchiefs. And I was just, like, crying. And I pulled one out. And Jen, like, tapped me. And I was like, here's another one. Let's just <laughs> cry forever. So here's the thing, though. When Star Trek II comes out, I feel like I am obligated, obviously, to uh, wear my newly acquired Star Trek dress. And I'm probably going to cry. And it's going to be, like, extra embarrassing. So there has to be a friend with me. And it's probably going to be you. Because Jen had to what? move to America. I am technically in England. Yeah, technically, right now. Jen's not coming back. You could possibly move here. At any rate, we'll, just... We'll, we'll see how this goes. Be aware that that is in your future. Yeah, I'm, I'm resigned. It's, it's in my future the same way that death is. And breast sagging. <laughs> Moving onward to the show that makes me cry less than Trek, but makes me have even more complex 
and furious feelings, which we haven't talked about since the beginning of the season where we kicked it off right and talked about smut. Holy shit, The Good Wife. Oh my god, I watched like six episodes in one day when I was sick. I don't know how I did it, but my mind was just exploding with amazement. Holy fucking shit, The Good Wife. Yeah. Where to even begin? Uh, Will said I love you on the phone by accident. Yeah. But here's the re- like, here's the thing that makes that even more incredible is that I, I don't know how I completely didn't consider this, but like at the end of last season, when they finally like got together, I was like, great, that's really fantastic for everyone. I didn't consider for a minute that in the middle of this emotional transaction, the person getting their heart crushed was going to be Will Gardner. And they're doing it in such like a masterfully skillful sort of way where she is like, they're like completely understandably fresh out of this like terrible relationship that she's been in forever. Like Peter has broken her heart so many times over. She's lost her best friend in Kalinda. She can't really talk to like, who the fuck can she talk to about this? Like, she's not going to tell anyone about it. She doesn't want to tell her brother because it's like family members who like don't need to know about your sexual BS. Yep. And so at the time, like right now, she's kind of just like indulging herself. Like, you know what? I want Will. I want to be with Will. It's fun to be with Will. I want to have sex with him during lunch. And I want to do like incredibly saucy things like, hello, sir. When I enter conference rooms with him, which I was like, oh my God, Alicia, you're my hero in life. Right. <laughs> and then, and then and simultaneously, Will is doing stuff like, should I meet your kids? Do we need to talk about this? Like, can we please talk about this? And you can just like see her being like, no, I kind of like it the way it is. She's like, like yeah, just, we have sex yeah. and it's a good time. And he's like, I have all the feelings. I like love you so much. I want to tell you everything. I want to like meet your kids. Like, he and gave up being- the possibility of like the dream, like the dream job. He just gave it up. He was like, no. Because I love Alicia. Do I love Alicia? And of course, in the most recent episode, where he's sitting there, like having a conversation with Diane forever, and you're kind of like, "What is he doing?" He's just like sitting, basking in some sunlight, looking really contented, and then you realize he's watching Alicia sleep after their nooner. And I was like, "Oh man, he's gonna get so like beat up in this like deal." Oh, I feel so bad for him. It just brings me right back to sports night all over again. I'm like, ah, sports night. Ah, Will. Yeah, like, can't someone be nice to Danny? Like, can't someone be nice to Danny? Please. Oh, Gardner. But at the same time, there's that, you find out that, like, he borrowed a client's, like, thousands and thousands of dollars for gambling. $5,000. Yeah, which is insane. And he just, like, doesn't tell Alicia shit. Like, he's still not a great person. He's super in love with her, but so is Peter. But Peter's, like, I would say a worse person than Will. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think it's really hard. Like, I think the show plays it really well in the sense that, like, they're all individually people with flaws and shortcomings and they've done terrible things. But that may or may not be tied to or uh, prevent them from having feelings for one another, you know? Like, just because Peter, like, Peter is demonstrably a shithead. Like, a bad human being who neglected Alicia for years, cheated on her relentlessly, and, like, had a pattern of marital problems, like, set in stone. And, like, and when he had a time, when he had moments to, like, completely come clean, he kept holding stuff back. Like, trying to lie and, like, hoping that, like, she would never figure it out. 
simultaneously insulting her intelligence and not like having enough faith in their marriage. I was gonna say, considering that, okay, so when he went to jail, because that's how the yes. series starts, if anyone has not seen this, at the beginning of the series, he is in jail. It's um, really good. She's like, I'm going back to work, whatever, like, I'm gonna do law. And she goes back to work. And we've reached the point where he is now the district attorney, and she makes significantly more money than him. And she's, like, amazing at her job. Like, everyone at her job is like, yeah, Alicia, we're really surprised, considering you have, like, almost no experience, you're fantastic. And he's still like, I bet she won't figure it out, I bet I can pull this over on her. She's not that smart. It's just, it's total madness. And I think that he's finally reached a point where he really actually, like, respects her intelligence. Like, I think at this point, her having thrown him out of the house and seems to be doing very well without him. Yeah. I think he's sort of figured it out. Kind of. You know what? Okay. Can we talk about their kids for a minute? I love their kids. I specifically love the brother the most because the daughter is just way too into Jesus for me. She's, like super into Jesus, but she doesn't really know anything about it, which I think is a bad way. She's looking for anchors. She's, like, looking for something steady in her life. Yeah. And it just happens that she got into, like, a really weird subset of Christianity. Yeah. Um, but, like, when she goes to her dad, and she's, like, really worried because she thinks that but it's like, if you get divorced, you're going to hell. But if you do this, you're not. Oh, he's like, she's like, if you're gay, you're not going to hell. But if you're getting divorced, you're definitely going to hell. And she's like, oh no, my parents are going to hell because they're getting divorced. And you're like, don't. Mm. I don't know that she's actually gone to Peter with that yet, but she was watching that video about it. No, she talked to him about it in his office. What did, what did Peter say? Uh, she was like, I'm worried about you because you're going to go to hell if you get divorced or whatever. Like, are you getting divorced? And he's like, I don't know, it's complicated. It's a complicated problem and I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, when you don't know what to do, you used to just ask me. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, yeah, I used to do that. And then he starts the, like, full-on assault on Will legally. Yeah. Because he thinks that that's the solution. Like, don't get divorced by ruining Will's life. No, no, no. There's so many, like, there's so many conflicting, like, complicated interwoven plot threads here that we just, like, burned right through. Well, yeah. So so here's the deal. At this point, Alicia and uh, Peter are separated. Peter Florek. Not Peter Bishop. Peter Bishop we love. Peter Florp we think is a dick. Yes. Makes Alicia unhappy. Um, Alicia is boning Will aggressively and to mutual satisfaction, although without emotional satisfaction on Will's part. Because mm-hmm. he always looks like he wants to cry at this point every time he thinks about her, which is, like, so fucking crushing. Well, no, and he I, either looks, like, just smitten or, like, he's going to cry. Exactly. And I completely, I completely sympathize with both of them. You know? Like, both of them are doing the best that they can with what they have. Yeah. Anyways, the point is. Uh, so, wait, Alicia and Will are fucking. And all at the same time, like, the firm is undergoing, like, all of these crazy contortions They have, like, insane, like, they have some amazing cases in the first seven episodes of this season, including some, like, really terrifying stuff Mm -hmm. uh, about the United States judicial process in the face of secrecy acts. Oh, God, that was horrifying. That was really terrifying. Like, they do extensive research on the show. So if episode seven is actually reflective of the judiciary process, whenever we're talking about someone who may or may not be tangentially related with terrorism, that is tragic. Welcome to America. Yeah, that is really tragic. I hope that, ugh, anyways, moving on. Um, So even though we're talking constantly about, like, all the soap operatic feelings that everyone is having on the series, the plots in every one of the episodes is fantastic. And that's the majority of each episode, right? Like, All we talk about is the feelings, but the feelings are, like, 10% of any given episode, and the rest of it is, like, really fascinating cases. Incredibly fascinating cases. So I will say one of my favorite things was when Alicia's son, like, fixes her computer, 
and then the yeah. IT guy is like furious because it's broken the network or something. And yeah. then her kid is like, oh no, that guy's charging you for like 100 things that he shouldn't charge you for at all. Yeah. I'm just like, hire that kid. That kid is like 14 and he should be running your IT department. He's like 17. And I, oh, can we discuss like bad parenting 101 that's been happening? Oh my God, yes. So Peter, Peter, the husband, tells his son at one point through like, he sort of gets badgered into telling um, that he slept with another woman in addition to the hooker. Like, first of all, the fact that your kid knows that you slept with hookers and that's why. And had photos of you sleeping with the hookers. had photos of you sleeping with the hookers that he had to prove did not actually include photos of you sleeping with hookers and a crack pipe. Like, that is already bad enough for that kid's psyche. Like, why the fuck would you tell him that? Zach, okay, you know what, Zach, maybe Zach is 17, maybe Zach is 18. I'm 27. I never want to know any of those details about my parents' life. And even if I badger them to tell me, don't tell me because you should like he doesn't need to know that like why would you tell him there's no good like peter is just an abysmal human being (laughs) like that's my only he's terrible he's a terrible person the only redeeming qualities about him are essentially that he does want to do a good job at the state's attorney's office yep and for the most part he's doing that um and he does love his kids a lot even if he hasn't been traditionally a good father you can tell that he loves his kids and he loves alicia a lot despite treating her like shit he does he loves alicia a great deal but he doesn't know how to treat her well and doesn't respect her obviously given their history but like aside from those three like points like everything else in the middle is like peter you're such a bad person not even like okay so you lie to alicia no wonder she's separating from you and you lie to like all sorts of other people no wonder they think you're an asshole you weirdly tell the horrible truth to your young children which is horrible however why would you lie to eli gold aka rama manuel who is your campaign manager if Rahm Emanuel wants yeah. to know if you fucked shit up so that he can fix it, don't lie. Tell him you fucked shit up. Like, it's not a complicated problem. Yeah, well, the beautiful thing about this is that one of the, I don't even know what to call this, like the like the Z plot that's been running through this entire season and all of last season, is that ever since Peter has been released from prison, has been rehabilitating himself politically, is that eventually, like, they're going to put this guy up, not just for governorship, you know, that's too small. Like, Rom, like Rom. Uh, Eli's ultimate goals like he would love to see Peter in the fucking White House of course he would yeah but every single person involved in this knows that the only way Peter is ever going to get anywhere politically is if he stays married to Alicia yeah because everyone loves Alicia and she's his human credentials like if she stays with him then it's possible. Then anything is possible. Then he's like a beautiful story of having sinned and then redeemed himself and come out cleaner for it, right? Yeah. If she leaves him, then his political career is over. And so this entire season has been this really interesting sort of nexus where, like, Eli knows something's not right, but he doesn't know how not right things are. The worst is when Eli promises that lady from the Democratic Committee or whatever that uh, Peter and Alicia... Alicia and Peter will still be together. Yeah, and I was like... No, they won't. No, no, they really won't. Because, like, you know, you guys are eating lunch. Do you know what Will's eating right now? Alicia's vagina. True like, story. This does not work out for you guys. Even if Alicia does not wind up with Will, she's definitely not going to go back to Peter. 
I don't think she would let herself do that, right? She's already, like, humiliated herself so badly on that front. And she was like, here's the thing. If you slept with one prostitute, if you promised me that it was the one prostitute and nothing else, then you can move back in for a while and we can give this a shot. And he was like, I promise you. And she was like, you promise that that's the full truth? And he was like, yes. And then she finds out that he lied and slept with at least, but probably more than one other person. And she's like, get the fuck out. We're divorcing. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not going back on that. That was the deal. And you lied she to had, her face. She gave, him, she gave him every opportunity for full disclosure. Every and opportunity. She thought she was making her decisions with all of the information available. But clearly she wasn't. And he just, such a douche. Such a douche. Like, the I mean, douche okay, level? The, yeah. So what, what do we think is going to happen? Like, where does the rest of this season go? Because I feel like this will thing is going to come to a head, right? So essentially what's happening is that the state's attorney's office finds out or has some info saying that Will Gardner, at his very first firm, when he was at his very first job, um, oh, the other thing, guys, house refugees who... <laughs> uh, maybe Miss Cuddy a lot. Lisa Edelstein has a brief arc on Good Wife, and I assume she's probably going to be coming back. And she's awesome. Yeah. Celeste, terrifying. Like, she's, she's like, like a, it's not that she's a bad person, but she's also not a good person. She's like a neutral, just looking out for her own interests. Yeah, and sex. She's like Lady Tony Stark if he was a lawyer. And a bit more of an asshole. She's like ferociously good at her job. Totally wants to hit it with Will again, even though she doesn't, like, give a shit about him. She just wants him there for yeah. sex purposes and so that she can trick ladies into having sex with both of them. And she's hilarious. Like, for example, they're in, like, a maximum security facility with creepy wife killer guy from, like, several seasons back. And he's like, there's a strange tension between you, Alicia, and Celeste. And Celeste is like, ugh, I didn't want to tell you, but we're lovers. And Alicia's being weird about it. She's about to leave me for a man who doesn't deserve her. And I was like, yeah! <laughs> I want her to stay forever! She's so cool! I like when she and Alicia are at the bar together, and they're, like, having a good time. And Alicia's like, why can't we be friends? And Celeste's like, because I hate women. I like sleeping with them. <laughs> But I can't be friends with them because I hate them so much. And you're like, ah! Yeah, it's like, they're always competing with me. Plus, I want to break you and Will up. And Alicia's just drunk enough to be like, oh, how would you do that? <laughs> and is like, well, I would tell you about him. And this is where the first time number 45,000 shows up. Yeah. Anyways, so you find out during the course of these first seven episodes that... During his first job, Will clearly had a gambling problem, right? And number two, uh, he once took $45,000 of client money to pay down a debt. And he had, he had every intention of putting it back. But he, like, it was found out that it was taken before he could return it. Like, this happened in Baltimore. So it's not within the jurisdiction of the state's attorney's office. But they want to utilize this to try and, like, put the heavy on Will to turn on one of their clients who was, like, a meth dealer. But, I mean... The posturing and sort of like the angry political stuff going on here and all the feelings about Alicia between Will and Peter is amazing. Do you know what else would have been amazing? What? If Will in Baltimore knew Tony in Baltimore when Tony was with Baltimore PD. Don't make that face. I can't. No, I can't do this. Like, my love for Good Wife is, like, pure and intellectual and genuinely good. My love for NCIS is not pure, not intellectual, and has people on the internet absorbing the concept of soap beating into themselves. So, like, I don't, never shall the twain meet. I cannot say, you know what, no. Your love of Good Wife is not pure and intellectual. It is 50% pure and intellectual, but the other 50% is, like, filthy lady porn. Yeah, but, like, that's filthy intellectual pure lady porn. No, it's not. It's cunnilingus <laughs> and, like, ladies getting high. 
Someone tell me something that is more pure and intellectual than ladies getting high in cunnilingus. I can't have this conversation with you. What? It's everything I love, nothing I hate. You're such a... I mean, I get it, but God, we have to move on. <laughs> we have reached the point where I'm like, we have to move on. We have to, we have to stop. <sighs> Anyways, conclusion, Good Wife is knocking it out of the park this season. Totally. If you haven't watched it before, catch the fuck up. It's so good. Yes. Sidebar, we're going to have to have something happy after the next bit because I have to talk about something now that is like the most horrifying thing I've ever seen on television that was not on Criminal Minds. I love that that's, like, the caveat. That's, like, the most terrible thing I've seen on television other than that time that serial killer knife-raped Hotch on TV. Like, Criminal Minds is, like, the, you know, everything is horrible bar. And this is, like, <laughs> just below that on a show that is not Criminal Minds. The Mentalist, isn't it? No, it's CSI New York. Oh, fuck. Exactly. I was like, what the fuck is going on? So, this week on CSI New York, they have an episode where the B-plot, which is about a serial rapist who does not get caught, uh, is less horrifying than the A-plot about teenagers at a party. That's great. Yeah, I was like, how are they? Hmm. So the opening of the episode is that this girl's having a party at her house, and her parents are out of town, and you're like, oh, that's a bad idea, and everyone at the party is texting all of their friends, and the party goes viral, and within two hours, 7,000 people or something are at her house, and they are having, like, a beer-chugging competition on the balcony, and the balcony collapses, and, like, 50 kids fall, and one of them is dead, and a bunch of them are badly injured. And you're like, oh, that's really sad, but, like, where's the crime? Obviously, the girl who was dead was dead before the balcony fell, and so they're investigating that. And you're like, this is really weird. It turns out that the girl who dies in this episode is a very popular girl at school, and uh, she's been doing the worst thing ever. So she's super popular, she has a group of super popular friends, and, like, a really great boyfriend. And every once in a while, they find a really unpopular girl at school, and they take her into the group, and they, like, get her new clothes, and they give her a makeover, and they invite her out to all these parties, and, like, hang out with her all the time, and they, like, give her nice jewelry, and she feels like she's having a really good time. And then they tell her that, you know, this girl and her boyfriend are really into, like, an open relationship thing, and that the boyfriend is super into her. And then the boyfriend will be like, I really, I really care about you. And then they have sex, and it is always this new girl's first time. So he takes her virginity, and then he goes back and he tells his girlfriend about it, and she uh, rates them on scales of one to five cherries on a site called Cherry Bomb, and uh, like picks apart their performance as a first-time person having sex, and then they like spread it around. And they do this all the time. And How like, have they never been found out before? Like Because the kids who are being used in this game are so ashamed that they don't want to tell anybody, and only the really popular kids in school are the ones who are seeing the website. Right. And so obviously, like, the person who has killed this girl was one of the victims of this. But, like, the whole point of the episode, they think it's this one girl because she was one of the most recent victims. Mm -hmm. And uh, this girl is like, why would I kill her? That would be, she was like, I would rather cut myself to death than go to that party. She's like, at least when you're dead, you can't feel anymore. And this girl has been not eating, like basically suicidal, injuring herself for two months after this has happened to her. And her half-sister like goes crazy, confronts the girl who did this to her. And the girl who did it to her is like, what? I did her a favor. 
uh, which drives the half-sister to murder her to death. And you're like, well, valid. Totally do that. But the way that they show this is so horrifying that the only thing I could compare it to was Criminal Minds. Like, that's the kind of serial killer craziness that was going on in the show. And that was, like, at least 800 times more horrifying than the ongoing serial rapist story. Oh my god. Yeah. Really bad. Like, when any procedural or any show at all outdoes Criminal Minds... It's almost like you should get the opposite of an award. Yeah. I feel like someone should, like, go up to whoever, like, decided to make that episode and, like, punch them in the dick. And we can't talk about this. Let's You're abused. We're changing the subject. Sure. Someone did not want you to talk about mentalists, though. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Okay. So... We've talked before about how we were kind of disappointed with the handling of the mentalist plot, even though it was expected that uh, Jane is convinced that he did not kill Red John, that he just killed some other guy and that Red John is still out there. And in the most recent mentalist episode, uh, there's a serial killer who's been like kidnapping girls and murdering them. And uh, Jane and everyone are on the case and they're working with a local expert who lived next to the first victim and has been just like obsessed with this case the whole time. And obviously like 20 or 30 minutes into the episode, Jane is like, that's totally the dude and I'm just going to like play him until we can catch him. Uh, but the serial killer is actually quite smart, and he figures out what's going on, and he is always two steps ahead of Jane the whole episode. Right. Um, and it gets to the point where it looks like the case is over. It's been handed over to uh, the FBI, and, like, the FBI is like, we don't even consider that guy a suspect. And he's like, that's the killer. Like, that is, I can prove it to you. And they're like, no, you have no evidence. And you're like, if Jane says it, it's, like, 99% sure that that's what's actually happened here, but they refuse to look at this guy. Right. Um, and the serial killer, because he's an expert, has been invited onto a talk show the next day uh, to discuss the ongoing case and talk about the serial killer and how cool the serial killer is. And Jane also gets invited to go on the show. And on the air, Jane realizes that he can no longer trick this guy. Like, it's not going to work. And so what he actually right. does is uh, play on his ego. And he says... Uh, Jane starts talking about how Red John was actually incredibly smart, and Red John would never make the kind of childish, dumb mistakes that this serial killer makes, and that Red John actually killed for a purpose, whereas this serial killer just kills because of his ego, and how right. dumb he is. And the serial killer guy is infuriated, and goes on for the next, like, three minutes on air to say that Red John was an amateur serial killer, that he was useless and dumb and clumsy and like, bad at serial killing, and that he's glad that Jane killed him because that guy just should not be around because other serial killers are so much more interesting. And Jane just looks at him and then looks at the camera and then it cuts to commercial. And the nice. end of the episode is the serial killer, like, brutally murdered in his home and Red John's, like, blood smiley face painted on the wall. I had a lot of feelings. <laughs> I have this, like, uncomfortable feeling like you could write some compelling... There's probably Jane Red John fic out there, isn't there? Of course there is. I mean, like, because this is sort of, like, terrible, but I'm like, oh, that's sort of giving... It's kind of good, right? Like, I was kind of like, yes! It's the only way that he could take out that serial killer and make sure that he he's wouldn't... Up. Yeah, and he's like, I'm gonna use Red John, and Red John's gonna know I'm using him, but he's gonna be totally in favor of it because this guy's an asshole. He's like the Hannibal Lecter of serial killers. He doesn't like impolite people. Yes, it's exactly that. And it proves to everyone that Red John is still alive. But the best part is, Jane already was acquitted for the supposed murder of Red John. So like he can never be charged with that again. Oh my god, it's like that Ashley Judd movie. Yes, it's like Double Jeopardy. Oh my god. I loved that movie. Of course you did. It was great. Do you know that Ashley Judd is crazy smart? Really? 
She spends all of her free time getting degrees. That's all she does. Yeah. Really? She's actually, like, ridiculously smart. Wow. Yeah. Why is she ever in double jeopardy? Pays the bills, pays for the next degree. It's like all she wants is to continue to go to school. Now I like her better. Yeah, I love Ashley Judd. I think she's awesome. She's like, yeah, whatever movie, let's do this. It's gonna pay the bills. That explains a lot of her choices in terms of filmmaking. Yeah. It, yeah. I like her so much. I bet. I bet you like her so much. She was in that movie in which she uh, compared male sex habits to those of cows. It was a Hugh Jackman movie. It was great. <laughs> By which I mean it was terrible. And we loved it. <laughs> I think that's it, though. And um, this rolls us nicely into our feature for the week, which is Author Talk. Yay! Recorded earlier and on, you were saying an incredibly terrible filter. Yeah, I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. We probably should have known that I was sick while we were recording, but uh, we didn't. And so I apologize for everything. Just for everything. I'm really sorry. Yeah, just to clarify, um, the podcast usually is recorded over Skype and then in GarageBand with various filters on it to make sure that we sound less horrific than we could. And this week we picked new filters that we decided in a test sounded really good, but that in actual recording do not sound really good. It alternates. Sometimes it sounds good, and sometimes it is horrifying. Yeah, so we apologize in advance for that. But on the flip side, you do get to hear the Hoyden talk about writing, so. And porn. And yes. monastic silence. Oh, monastic silence. It's amazing. All right, so yeah, enjoy the feature. Indeed. So we did give you guys our bad fic challenge last week, which was uh, you have to describe like the most horrible story, but you can't describe it in a way that identifies the story or the author, and you can't give us the link. And I guess there's a winner. Mostly, but the winner... mostly it's tar- tales of harrowing, uh, harrowing bravery for having yeah. strong like through a story, despite it being so terrible. It was unspeakable. Which means that the winner is really the loser. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. Yeah. Valid. Uh, so our first one, our first entry, was from Glass Glue, who read 30,000 words of torture, 150,000 words of Stockholm syndrome recovery, grossest use of butt plugs ever. Which, I'm not gonna lie, I'm sort of intrigued by. You would be. Like, what, what, like, frankly, like, what can you do with a butt plug? Like, how can you be creative or particularly gross with a butt plug more I, than it already is? I can think of a gross use right now. What is wrong with you? Challenge accepted. You were like, how could that? And I was like, done. Uh, uh, MK, why? I'm not going to say it on the report, because I'm nice like that. Please don't, especially when I'm eating. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that. Um, our next one was from Somehow Unbroken, who read 40,000 plus words of glory hole fic with religious undertones. Ends with them happily getting together. I think that that one cannot win because it ended happily. That's true. Yeah. Wait, did the previous one end happily, or do we not know? We, we don't, don't know. know. Plus, the other also, one was longer. Yeah, the other one yeah. was longer. Yeah, that's true. Like, also, you know, sparked my imagination with the gross use of butt plugs. Terrible, terrible curiosity. It's valid. Um, and our last entry this week, so you guys, you need to enter more. <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, is from Yoko Siren, who once read a story that, where it starts out with the main character saying, well, love interest pet is ugly, but he's cute. Which is only valid if you're reading Kimiwa Petsofic. Let's be serious. Yeah, otherwise you're getting into some uncomfortable, uncomfortable furry territory there. Yeah. I really am curious about what fandom that's in, but I don't actually no. want to know. Don't I tell don't, me. I don't think that there's, like, like you said, there's only one fandom where that's valid. Yeah. All other fandoms, that's creepy. Yeah. 
other than Kimi Wapeto, it's also acceptable in QIRPS. You're welcome. What? Because Alan Davies is Stephen Fry's pet. You know what? He's a puppy. That is true. Listeners, we're going to pretend that didn't happen. It did happen. And both of you should be ashamed of yourselves. And I think we're going to have to crown this week's winner as Glass Blue for so many reasons, including but not limited to the sheer length of that story. And the fact that I'm intrigued. I want to know. I wonder. But you're still not allowed to send the link. You're still not allowed to send the link because I'm going to read it and that will just uh, incapacitate me. Yeah, it'd be bad. I, I need her for things, so... We need, we need her functional, like, so we can't do that. Yeah. Just want me to keep cooking. Yes, in fact. I only want you to start cooking again once you move to Toronto. <laughs> There'll be Toronto HQ and other Toronto HQ. You can, you, you know what, you can partake of today's chicken pot pie spiritually. That is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, having, having, having gone from, like, really bad stories and tales of endurance, I think it is only reasonable now that we move on to good stories. And tales of inline beta endurance. <laughs> so yeah, our inaugural author talk, mostly because I had her trapped in my house, is uh, the Hoy. Before we get into um, the questions that we got from curious listeners, um, I wanted to kick us off by doing a couple of basic questions and uh, a quick rundown with you. Number one, uh, what is your name, author, believe? I'm the Hoyden. Hi, the Hoyden. Hello. Uh, so number two, what was your first fandom? My first fandom was Sailor Moon, actually. Yeah, so. it was. <laughs> uh, what was the first fandom you wrote for? Uh, the first fandom I wrote for was also Sailor Moon. So, do you remember what your first story was or why you decided? Like, what made you go from, like, I'm going to watch about Moon Princess Magic to I'm going to write about Moon Princess Magic? Uh, that is, I mean, I think the impetus for that was that, so Sailor Moon was being released as a dub on US TV. And, uh, but I was keenly aware that, A, I was not going to get all the episodes. There was more information about Moon Princess Magic out there, and I wanted it. I wanted a lot of it. And, uh, also at the time, like, the manga was being, uh, terribly, terribly translated and released in a mirrored format. It was bad. It was, it was not good. But I was also aware, I was like, there's, there's more of this. It comes from Japan. And... I have this internet, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and find out more about this. How and old were you? Sixteen. Okay. Um. Yeah, I know, right? Lucky guess. But I was like ten. Oh. Anyway, so I was definitely sixteen. Definitely looking for more things about Sailor Moon on the internet, and I was like, "What are these things? Like these people are writing stories about Sailor Moon." Uh, I don't think it took me very long of reading other people's stories for I was like, I'm going to try this. Like, I obviously need to uh, write about the very true love of, oh my god, what are their dumb names even anymore? Serena and Darian. (gasps) Oh my god, Darren, that's right. Right. That's such a serial killer name. (laughs) No, no, Darian, not Darren. Darian. Oh my god, that's even worse. Yeah, so that that is how that started off. Yeah. How do you follow that up? Um, okay. What has been your most vivid, for good or bad reasons, memory of writing porn? Vivid memory of writing porn? Yeah. What is your best, like, oh, one time I was writing smut and story? You don't have any? She writes in monastic silence. That's true. The thing is, it's not like, like, I write something, and I typically show it to Lynn Monster, who has been my stalwart and trusty beta since... Whoa. Donkey's ears. Since due south, anyway. And whether or not that's donkey's ears is, is up to you, but... Alright, how about I broaden the question? Okay. What is your most ludicrous writing story? Like, have you ever done anything 
you cannot possibly be this well adjusted. Have you ever done anything dumb for writing? Have you ever like done some like outsized research? Has anything hilarious ever happened at all? Or do you just like clockwork perfectionist thing happens and it's good? Um, oh my God, are you serious? This is horrible. I have like three off the top of my head. I Jesus. I have a number of stupid things that I've done. Sorry, this is going to be a boring author talk. Like, apparently I'm not, like, sufficiently... No, that means you're functional, which I'm jealous of. No, I mean... I can't imagine living like the Hoyden. Like, it's just... Like, it's I almost fictional. Done, the worst thing I've done in recent memory, which is not sexing-related... Yeah. Oh, no, some of it was. Was when I was writing What Not to Expect When You're Not Expecting, which is my X-Men First Class at Pick, Which I cheered on all the way. Yeah. Um, I was definitely looking at newspaper articles from the 60s to figure out what people were freaking out about in terms of what pregnant women should and should not ingest. <laughs> and then later, I was also definitely looking at, for like, I felt like a long time, like, positions in which women in later stages of pregnancy should, you know, consider having sex in. Like, I thought about this a lot. And then I looked at stick figures online. Were you at work? No! Good! Prue, I, I mean, think you are obligated to now share one of your own shameful writing stories. I'm so many like what fandom do you even want to shame myself in like there's just like tons to go with just pick any um what's my favorite like embarrassing writing story i mean we've had already adventures together in which we looked at multiple museums and to look at places we thought memes would knock over yeah yeah we did did Uh, do that but that's not even embarrassing right like that's just that's like fairly normal for me i was gonna say that's like your wheat googling yeah, I mean, like, so I live in London, I'm surrounded by art museums, why not go to a bunch of art museums and figure out how to break into them, in case I need them for a story in Inception fandom. I'm actually probably, like, the worst thing that I've ever done. This is not, you know what, that's a lie. This is not the worst thing that I've ever done, but this is, like, probably one of, like, those moments where you look at your life and you look at your choices and you're like, oh, this is not cool. Why? Why did you do this? Was, um, one year... I ended up having to spend the night at a very kind-hearted friend's house after I after some like travel snafu essentially, um, and I couldn't sleep. So I spent the night taking napkins off of her kitchen table and like a sharpie diagramming a house threesome because I couldn't figure out how all the limbs fit together. And in case you want to know what story that is, it's called Deriving the Prime, where Cuddy, Wilson, and House Bone. And I was like, how are they all going to make this work? Because I think Cuddy is pregnant in that story. And I was like, they can't crush the baby. So it's like 3 a.m. I'm sitting on like a, like a semi-stranger's like living room sofa with Sharpies and a bunch of kitchen napkins diagramming a sex scene in someone else's house are a class act yeah no i i do what i can to lower the standards for everyone my problem with writing is that if i'm going to write a story in a fandom i basically have to completely immerse myself in that fandom like to the exclusion of everything else so when i got into sga i watched all the sga oh and then i started writing before i read all the fake i had to be like just watch 32 hours of SGA straight and then do some writing so that like that's all my brain can think about because otherwise it won't work and it got to the point where I was writing a story and I was like oh this is coming out really well like I really understand these characters it's gonna be awesome got up to get a drink went to the fridge poured myself a glass of orange juice came back to my bed (laughs) took a sip and then said oh shit anaphylactic shock I'm gonna die and then was like I'm not allergic to oranges like that's how deep in I have to be wow yeah it was embarrassing always go deeper (laughs) 
have to go deeper. So MK has like immersion therapy. I have monastic silence, and Prue has well, like accidentally failing into stories is essentially my method. It appears. That's why I like you so much. You're just failing upwards all the time. I just like <laughs> I, I just like I fall down and I get a headache and then I get confused and like some writing happens. Like nobody knows. Like it just it's a blackout. And he woke up and there was like 50k of fake. yeah. There was like 50k of fake and like my wrist hurt and like I felt dirty on the inside. Like I don't know. I definitely passed out in your apartment once and woke up and you were like, it's okay, I wrote like 12,000 words of this. And I was like, when? And you were like, <laughs> after you went to bed. Yeah, in the three hours after you fell asleep, I sat there like a crazy person. Just writing. I typed with like big crazy eyes. Yeah. But like everyone has more dignity as a writer than I do, like Hoyden especially. No, it's, no, seriously. Okay, so Hoyden and I have written in one another's presence quite often. Right? Yeah. So, stories that other people have about being in my apartment as I'm working on stories, like Lepagus is one of my personal favorites, was one night she was, like, sitting on my couch, and I was, like, lying in my bed already, because we were about to pass out. And, uh, she hears from my bedroom, fuck! Holy fuck! No! Fuck! Fuck! Wait, maybe I can- No! Fuck! 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 And she was like, oh my god, are you okay? What's wrong? Like, generally speaking, considering I was alone in my bedroom, all of the swearing would be a bad sign. Possibly fraud, yeah. Right, and it was because I'm a dumbass, and I had accidentally deleted a story off of the internet. Oh, that was like, oh. I remember that <laughs> night. I accidentally deleted Prescribu offline because I'm a moron. Like, I literally accidentally deleted it off the internet. And other people's stories about writing are, like, me and Hoyden sitting in charming little shops and, like, coffee stores in Vienna and um, beautiful restaurants in Seville, Madrid, discussing elegantly your, you know, your pending story, you know, looking at the local scenery and drinking it all in. And like, and then inevitably having like explosions of when we realized that fascism was ruining my life because <laughs> I wanted characters to go to a certain location. I was like, ah, fascism means I can't. Fascism is ruining everything. Yeah, but see, like, just just think about the basic contrast, you know? Like, good coffee, your pants on. Like, it's so <laughs> dignified. It is so okay. dignified. I always look like this yeah. when I'm writing. I'm, like, unshowered, wearing a sleep mask as a headband. I have to say, the Hoyden is, like, one of the most composed, clean writers. Like, not necessarily just your prose. Like, in general, you're one of the most composed, clean writers that I've ever come across. We make a lot of jokes, but I would say that the Hoyden is actually, like, the only classy lady in our group. Like, an actually classy lady. Yeah. No, that's 100% accurate. The rest of us are just like, teehee, terrible, balls. Like, balls. just balls all the time. Teehee, the, penis. The Hoyden is like, oh, I'm just going to drink this perfectly brewed coffee and write this delightful story. Yep. In monastic silence. Yes. Yeah. No. I really do write. I mean, I... I just can't have people talking around me while I'm writing. I can't have distractions. It's not okay. I understand. You know who feels the same way about writing that I do? Who? Stephen Fry. Does he? Yes. Well, that means you're soul sisters with Stephen Fry. <sighs> you should only be so lucky. You're pretty okay. Stephen Fry-ish. They have, like, the same glasses, don't they? I no. have. No, no. First of all, I don't wear glasses. Like, I wear contacts during the day. But Pro can vouch that I actually have... Harry Potter glasses. I do. I do. No, those are totally early QI Stephen Fry glasses as well, though. Yeah, but they're definitely more Harry Potter glasses than they are Stephen Fry glasses. Yeah, that's valid. Okay, moving, moving on. on. And so we solicited questions from you guys all throughout the week, um, some of which, which made us laugh, some of which made her groan 
and some of which made me go like, what? what's wrong with you guys? And you guys can guess which ones, which reactions go with which. But I think M is going to play our MC for this. Yes. All right. First question is from Lucy Zephyr, and she wants to know if there is a theme or concept you like exploring through fic, like the one you like the most. Um, I think the one that I like the most and that I think is also pretty evident that I keep returning to is either um, how to define this trope, but I think I would actually choose to define it as uh, a found or forged family trope that um, people like come together and that you can choose to be somebody's family. And uh, for instance, that's something that I keep returning to like in Naruto. It's, I think... I love that in your Naruto fic, by the way. But I think a lot of shows that have uh, really strong team dynamics where it's um, shows and, and other media that have strong team dynamics where you can see that the team like is family is, is something that I'm really attracted to and that um, I like to write about. So I think it's definitely something I keep returning to. All right. You also got, it's not really a question, it's a comment, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. From Volonia47, who said, Any questions I have for the Hoyden would be like the Chris Farley show. Remember that story you wrote? That was awesome. <laughs> it probably is too bad you can't see my face. It's pretty red. Um, Her face is great. Thanks. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Um, no, but thanks to the person. That was nice. I'm just throwing you a softball before we get into something difficult. Gaffy Labs. Awkward hoiding question. Who is your favorite character of any fandom? Why? And how did that character lose their virginity? I admit, I did laugh when I read this question because, I don't know, I feel like I have definite goldfish brain. Like, it's really hard for me to see beyond, like, my current fandom love. So I think the, like, immediate thing I said was, oh my god, Charles Xavier, wait, when was he ever a virgin? So... (laughs) Fair question. Yeah, well, Prue thinks that's a fair question. She may be right, but... Let's face it, Charles Xavier definitely, definitely lost his virginity in some boarding school, and I'm sure it was, uh, you know, at night, a dark assignation. It was great, I'm sure. I'm sure it was degrading and completely hot. Um, I don't need, it doesn't need to be degrading, but it could be completely hot and clandestine. That would be the best. I'm pretty sure it was degrading. How would Erica lose his virginity? How would Erica lose his virginity? Yeah. Um, but, like, the troll part of me just said, to Kakashi. Yeah, that's, like, my first thing my brain went to. Um, I don't know. I sort of see Yurika as, like, somebody who might have lost his virginity to, like, one of um, the people in his year at the, the Ninja Academy. There's a Ninja Academy, guys, in Naruto, just in case you wanted to know. It's, like, a show about magical ninjas. It's pretty great. Um, it's the greatest magical ninja show. But I really think, like, Erika would have lost his virginity to, like, a friend. Like, somebody that he was close to and had good feelings for. And, you know, they're like, I just think that would have happened. Maybe. Maybe. I think he lost it to Kakashi. Um, I think I wrote that already. Um, I think that he went on a mission where he had to go undercover as a prostitute. That's how he gave up his beat card. Man, really? Like, he'd send a kid out who had never cashed in his beat card to, like, go be, like, a ninja prostitute? Yeah, but I think he made more money that way. It's not just that, but I would fully believe in that scenario that everyone believes that Erika isn't a virgin, and he's, like, too ashamed. He's like, I can't. I have to accept this mission. Takes the mission. Now I kind of want to write that. Oh, I hate you guys. You know what would be amazing for, like, a Naruto fic challenge? How did Erika lose his virginity? Just, like, 20 ways. My entire response to that challenge would be with enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, lots of enthusiasm. Yeah. Do you want to show and plus what I just gave you? I do. I don't know what that is, but it looks delicious. Hi. Oh, <sighs> you and your fucking food. You're making me want to eat Doritos, even though I've already had breakfast. What did you 
You had Nutella Eggos for breakfast. It's a weekend. On a regular weekday, I eat organic apple muffins with peanut butter. Whatever. I'm making Japanese potato salad. I hate you so much. Hoyden is making like the most happy face over her food too. It's so yeah. painful. It's painful to me too. Is that I really want to eat this, but A it is hot, and B um, I was about to say something ludicrous about not being able to do two things at once with my mouth, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't undersell yourself, Hoyden. I don't know. I read that Inception story last night. <laughs> Which Arthur co- or complains about not being able to do two things at once with his mouth. And Eames is very sad about it. Oh, God. That's well he should be. Related, uh, Paul Oliver would like to know how you have such a consistently wonderful, filthy mind. How did you train for that, Hoyden? I think I trained for that through, uh, God, years are on you guys. Like, surely. Like, okay, that's, you can't put that on us. You can't put that on you? I um, barely knew you, even though I read you avidly, until recently. Yeah, and I didn't know you until Hikaru Go. Yeah, so it's like 2005, right? Yeah. yeah. So like a raging curve before that. Yeah, basically true. So I guess I, can, I only have myself to blame, and that's fine. I'm alright with that. She came out of the primordial ooze like this. I, I think I came out of Sailor Moon like this. I mean, oh. Well, who didn't? <laughs> exactly. I do find it charming that both you and I share this, you know, sort of, I don't know, foundation of, of fandom, like, starts in Sailor Moon. Yeah, it's, I have a really pure love for Sailor Moon, but it also made me a raging pervert. Yeah, it was, I think Sailor Moon was the first time that, well, that I was, A, reading fanfic on the internet, and B, that I was like, wait, like, these people, like, um, this, this dub tells me they're cousins? Or... They're both, one's a, one's a girl, but she doesn't seem to have any chest. I'm really confused. So confused. And then I yeah, it was, Sailor Moon was a confusing time for all of us, but we learned a lot. In short, listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, in the Japanese version, uh, Haruka is a girl who is a lesbian who usually dresses as a man and does it really well. Like, she's an amazing cross-dresser. And her girlfriend, like, they're super happy together, but a lot of people think that they are a heterosexual couple because Haruka is so good at cross-dressing. And to fix this in the English version, they made them cousins and best friends. It didn't, yeah, that was a strange, strange choice. Like, in conclusion, cousins is is not, not a conclusion you should come to, yeah, I think. Yeah, guys, I don't think that incest is better than, like, I don't think that lesbian incest is better than just lesbian. Oh my god, related in like weird translation things that they did for the English version? Yeah. There's an episode in which they're all fighting over who gets to play Snow White in a uh, children's play. And they're all trying to say, like, this is why I should be the the Snow White. And uh, Makoto, who is, like, the tallest girl in the group, Gesundheit, Makoto says in the Japanese, I should be Snow White because I have the biggest boobs. And in the English version, she says, I should be Snow White because I have the most talent. <laughs> And from then on, talent became synonymous with boobs. Wow. Those are the same. Same thing. Another question from Lucy Zephyr, who wants you to describe your perfect canon media, TV, film, books, whatevs. I actually pulled up my page on the archive of our own to look at my fix because I was like, oh God, like what, what of all the things that I have, you know, engaged with fanishly, what do I love the most? And I think for me, in its purest, most joyful expression of something that I love wholeheartedly and is amazing, I would have to go with the Jeeves and Wooster novels. I love the TV series too, don't get me wrong, but the Jeeves and Wooster novels are like this perfect encapsulation of 
an England that never existed, but exists in everybody's mind. And, you know, this really, like, cute, but kind of dumb guy who, like, you know, bumbles through life. And his really, very, really affectionate relationship with his his valet. And for me, like, the per- like the memory I have in my mind of reading these novels is um, being not too long relocated to Chicago, pillaging the Chicago public library system for all, like, 40 of these books. Like, I read them everywhere. Like, it was an entire winter of Jason Wooster. And I have so many, like, pure memories of laughing, like, on the bus like in just utter joy because it was so great and and I still have them like you know littered around my apartment and I think if you can read those books and not instantly be in a better mood then you're you know you're broken like they're magical they're beautiful sign here folks this chicken pot pie is fucking amazing <laughs> like I rarely will say that about my own food but this is like having an orgasm inside my mouth so good just watching you eat things that I want to eat and can't have this is so tragic Dude, this is like a two-day chicken pot pie. Hoyden came home from, like, going outside and being cool yesterday, and I was boiling the fuck out of some chicken carcasses, like, making the most intense stock in the history of time. Oh, it's so good. Next question. I hate you. Ravel Queen wants to know if there are any kink meme fills that you've never de done. Um, strangely enough, I don't write on kink memes purely because I have zero ability to post something, and let me, like actually rephrase that i prefer to post a story all in one piece i don't like posting chapter by chapter and and if i can't handle posting chapter by chapter there is no way in hell that i can handle posting like bits and pieces on a kink meme i just can't do it i prefer to let the story go when it's like in its finalized form when i've looked at it picked over it had like two to three other people look at it that's when i release something into the wild (laughs) so the answer is none i have I have no kink meme fills to Dianon on or otherwise, so... I find that really interesting because I have a similar problem with kink memes where I could not... Knowing that I almost never finish anything because I'm a terrible person, I can't bring myself to, like, do a long fill on a meme. I mean, the last thing that I posted in fandom was ages and ages ago, like, over a year by far. Probably over two years. But I have done some meme fills, but they're always, like, short, and then I just mm-hmm. never Dianon. I used to never read works in progress either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically Inception broke me, like broke me real hard. Okay. And I, oh, so painful. I love how you say you don't read works in progress, but you will like read stuff that is being written by me. That's different. Those are different. I, mean, always, I used to reliable works no, in progress. Oh, hell no, no, because like you were my clutches. Like I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm just going to keep after you until it's done. Please see white collar pick. Uh, uh, that story. Isn't it's it done? Yes. yes. There you go. Success. That was a triumph of human will, ladies and gentlemen. You have no idea. Uh, Bikichi wants to know, when you write, do you make a certain type of playlist? Is it to the genre or fandom or character voice? I have actually, I think Prue and I talked about this already, because Prue has some intense playlist action going on. And by contrast, I apparently prefer to write in like a perfect mon- monastic silence. I actually was going to actually just say monastic silence. Which, yeah. No, I, I actually, like, I have a preferred method of writing, which is I really prefer to write between the hours of, like, 9 a.m. and noon. And I like to, I don't know, just be at my best. Like, I've just woken up. I'm ready to write. My, you know, my head is clear. I'm probably caffeinated because otherwise I wouldn't be writing anyway. Oh, my God, you're so functional. 
No, yeah, that's really that's weird. Disgusting. No, future. Yeah, that's like so. That's like such a high functional version of writing compared with everybody else in the world. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like the reason why I don't write with music, or if I do write with any music, it's with like a looping song with no words. I have a really hard time writing something with words in the background. So like I cannot like write and watch TV at the same time. Somehow my brain is just like, doesn't deal well with multiple sources of words like going on at the same time. It doesn't work out for me. So I'm sorry, dear listener, if you were hoping for, I don't know, deep insights into my playlist, um, that's that's not happening. The only playlists I own are the terrible playlists I use for the gym. So I'm not exciting. She only writes to the sound of her own genius. (laughs) What? No. Yeah. Um, we have an Anon question for you, which is, how do you feel about the sort of fanon that becomes stuck in everyone's mind? I think sometimes that certain interpretations of fanon can become distracting, especially when they're like singular element details. Um, I have to admit that if I, I, I keep running across Eric Lencher's shark-like grin or shark anything in this fandom, and it's not that I don't think it's funny. I do. But it does, like sort of momentarily distract me from the story so there are definitely times when i i feel like fandom fanon is is can be distracting from what you're doing as a whole Did you have a, i have a problem where if someone uses a different name for lestrade than greg or gregory i'm like that's not his name like what oh i've seen well, all sorts of names have a canonical name does too no but his name is gregory lestrade like how can that not be right this because- is fanon that got stuck in everyone's head yeah no, isn't Gregory Little Star from the original series? Maybe, but not in this show. Not in, like, Sherlock. Oh, okay. Well, I guess. That's a weird situation. Because uh, even though Sherlock is its own thing, I tend to assume that uh, they're going to pull straight from the old series that, I mean, the original Arthur Conan Doyle that yeah. is Gregory Little Star. But, of course, watch me be wrong, too. Like, watch me be totally, absolutely, like, freaking wrong, but it's not his name. But Maybe his name is Apple. <laughs> I hate Leslie. you. Leslie. Leslie Apple. No. No. Mark Gatiss is out there somewhere and he's like, yes, his name is Cocksucker Lestrade. Uh, that's because Mark Gatiss is a bro. <laughs> Mark Gatiss is like, oh my god, he's such a silver fox. I feel like if I, like, I'm never again, ever, ever, ever for the rest of my life doing another internship, but I would intern for Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat. In a heartbeat. So troll the internet. Like, I would happily be their internet trolling intern. <laughs> just, like, come up with random sound bites from stuff that they've said that will, like, make Tumblr insane. You would just record them at all times. Just yeah. walk around with a little digital like recorder. Or they need, they need, like, a minion to do their trolling for them. I could I do that like, for them. I could totally do that for them. Would you make time? I would make so much time for that. If you're listening, Mark Gatiss, <laughs> she's in London. Rage Proofuck is good. She's good at it. She's super good at it. She trolls constantly. <laughs> I think it just made her snort pop high up her nose. That was really hot. <laughs> Ew. Uh, all the more reason you don't get to eat this. I can't eat it anyway. <laughs> I am minimum eight hours away from you by plane. If I could, like, get on a plane at this instant and I'm not even showered. <laughs> I'm not even wearing underwear. Like, I'm just wearing a dress in bed. All right, fandom. Time to start your imagination engines. Oh, no. Um, I will say that one of my favorite things that ever happened in Sherlock fandom, just because we're on this note, is, uh, do you remember the story where girl John, like, does not think that she's pretty at all because her sister is so pretty? Yeah. But she has to put on the crazy dress and, like, go undercover at the opera with Sherlock and Mycroft and Lestrade? 
yes. were just talking about this. We were. And when Lestrade sees girl John and, like, compliments her on how nice she looks, she's like, hey, Inspector, what's a silver fox? Because he didn't know what it meant and asked people at work. <laughs> that was so great. It's like, that's, a, that's, like, such a grave miscarriage of justice that Gregory Lestrade does not, not know what a silver fox is. Yeah. You he, should be able to look up silver fox in Webster's Dictionary and see Lestrade next to it. I feel like Lestrade should be able to Google that for himself. It should be like, here is a picture of Greg Lestrade, and here is a picture of Mark Harmon. Yeah. Point illustrated. I feel like if you Google Silver Fox, the only result should be a picture (laughs) of Mark Harmon and then Greg Lestrade. That's it. Oh my god, related. So Leanne is watching NCIS and hates Tony. I I don't understand. Yeah, we've discussed how I've excommunicated her from the people that I know as a result of this. But... She was like, yeah, I was watching the show, whatever, and then I started paying attention to the credits, and Gibbs smiles in the credits for, like, two seconds, and I was like, why is he so handsome? (laughs) She was like, he's just so attractive. I was like, yeah, that happens to everyone. (laughs) Every person who watches that show is like, why am I so attracted to Mark Harmon? Why is he so dreamy? It's like ultra dreamy. Yeah. The dreamiest there ever was. Okay, so we also have another, a last fake question from Lucy Zephyr for you. Okay, dear Hoyden, what deity did you ingratiate to earn your funny writing skills, and what sacrifices do they prefer? Well, chiefly my sanity. I mean, that's, that's gonna be the first one. Say that up real fast. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah. Well, who did you give it up to, Hoyden? Who didn't I give it up to? Valid. Loose woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then we have the three-part question from Grammar Woman. Uh, so part one. All right, I'm ready. What's your history in writing porn? Was there a breakthrough for you at some point where it got better and or easier? Most often for me, I get to the point in the story I'm writing that I realize I want to put porn there, but the sheer terror of committing it to words makes me drop in a promissory note and reluctantly come back to flesh it out, heh, later. Or is this one of the cases in writing in general where doing it over and over led to improvement? I'm just going to add personally, doing it over and over. If you're going to write porn, it should be like sex. Have a lot of sex, then write some porn. I actually have a comment related to that, which is that for me, I think writing sex, again, not entirely unlike having it. You can get up in the middle, go make yourself a cup of tea, check your email, and then come back to it. But recapturing the mood can be a little bit tricky. So I almost, like, I don't think I ever actually do the, like, put in a note, stop and go back to it. Um, I think usually the sex, any sex scene I put in is pretty organic out of the story. And also I don't write out of order. So I write, I write, I write, I get to a sex scene, I write that, and then I keep going. I don't know. I think repetition probably definitely helps. Uh, I had some severe amnesia about when it was I first started writing sex scenes. Yeah, our first night in Seville was kind of tragic. It really was, because I was like, oh, maybe I didn't already start writing sex scenes until Do South. And I was like, no way, no, not accurate. Uh, and then I went back, I was like, okay, I know when I started writing sex scenes. It was definitely in a Japanese anime, uh, for a Japanese anime called, uh, in translation, I Want I Want to Be an Angel. It's about as terrible as it sounds. No, it's It amazing. sounds really bad. Um, it's about, no, it's about an angel teacher and angel student. They fall in love. It's great. But the point is, I, I thought I got to, I thought, I thought I found a story where I first, you know, wrote, wrote sex. And I was like, oh, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of interesting. And I was like, it's basically a telepathic blowjob. Like, you know, well, you know, it was like, that's kind of interesting for a first foray. And then I realized, no, that wasn't it either. Like, I was just failing all over the place. Um, my first one was actually a very, not that explicit um, sex scene, but still not a telepathic blowjob. But 
Anyway, my point is, I've already forgotten what the question was. Uh, how, how about I redirect your thoughts in Dude. this manner? On a scale of good to deadly mortifying, how did you find the first porn story you wrote? Because you re-found it and were, like, making wounded animal noises as you were reading it <laughs> in our hotel room in Seville. Now, to be fair, we had spent most of that day pickled. Yes. Pickled and wandering around the city. Yeah. Eating things that we couldn't pronounce. I'm really sorry, Fandom. This makes it sound super douchey, but it's true. That's what we did. Oh, um, then- you want to tell them how this question could make you sound even more douchey? No, I really don't. Because I'll tell them then. So we got the question in, and since it was a multi-part question, I was, and it would re- involve historical references, I went ahead and was like, hey, Hoyden, we got a question in. You should think about this now before we start recording. And of course, we were having a discussion about her history as a pornographer in a restaurant in the medieval streets of Seville, drinking wine and eating paella. And I was like, this is officially the worst thing we've ever done. Slash greatest. Uh, Definitely. Definitely greatest worst thing we've ever done. But to go back to what you were actually trying to redirect to is how did I find it? Yeah. Well, the thing is, there's a degree in which I think you necessarily have to be gentle with your extreme fanish past or not so extreme fanish past. But when I go back to what I first wrote, there's, uh, let's let's be honest, it's still there. You can look at it if you want to. I'm not sure. Why I would you, why would I don't you know. advertise I'm, not, I'm just saying it exists. Like, you could find it if you wanted to. Not that hard. But there's a lot of fangirl Japanese, and I can definitely see, you know, part, this, I'm like, this is obviously me starting to write fanfic and putting on the internet. So there's a lot of... Wait, are you I, telling me that, like, your first fanfic was porn? Did no. you, like, go out of the gate with no, something? No, 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 no. Or, like, no. Okay. No, I started, like, I started in... <laughs> less fangirl Japanese, so that's that's good. 1% less? Yeah, you know, like, never mind. Joke totally fell flat. Yeah, Don't sorry. worry about it. The thing is, like, I reread that first sex scene, and I was like, you know what? This is not what I would write now, by any means. It's not what I would have written five years ago. Mm-hmm. But I was like, for first for first effort, I'm like, meh, you so know? I was like, eh, I tried, and, you know, I think in the end, I would rather that people tried and yeah. did whatever and keep going. That's basically how I felt about that. That's fair enough. How long ago was this? Uh, I was trying to date this, which is which gets increasingly hard because like this stuff was first like published on some Yahoo mailing list we had back then. I don't even know, dude. Um, but I can Broadway actually Jackson. no no no. This is some spectacular Spanish history, and the way that I know when I wrote this is because Hirokami, who I wrote uh, most of the series, co-wrote most of the series with, taking her down with her. To, yeah, totally. But she sent me in the mail some fan art she drew of our series, and it was up in my college dorm room. Wait, like in the mail mail? In the mail mail. Like with a stamp? With a stamp. Wow. I know, right? Ancient history, guys. I used to receive packages from the people on Smurf. It was great. Anyways, this is probably, like, I'm going to say around 2000. Okay. Is when this is from. Nice. Nice. 
All right, part two. How do you balance the emotional slash internal feelings with the physical slash external actions and make it so freaking hot? I've heard bad fic porn described as basically, quote, naked twister narrated with all the clinical passion of tax forms, end quote, <laughs> which too easily applies to mine. Well, first of all, I think that you shouldn't be that hard on yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I think we can all advocate some gentleness towards oneself is... is a good policy. Yeah. No one is ever as bad as they think they are because the people who are truly that bad think they're great. So... Accurate. Yeah, if you're filled with self-doubt and concern for improvement, you are already, like, two tiers up from the type of people that, like, lead into eye-clawing at 3 a.m. So... Yeah. A plus, I guess. I don't know if that's actually comforting. Um, But yes, the question. I had to think about this one because I realized that... Since I very, very rarely write established established relationship fic, it's usually always first time fic. So first time is way better. Uh, (laughs) It's far superior in every way. Prue is making this amazing face. Yeah, Prue and I disagree on this pretty hard. Yeah, I know. I know. You can't do any of the really fucked up stuff unless you've been dating someone for a long time. Is all I'm saying. Uh, Inception fandom would beg to differ. Inception fandom is like a different and special and terrible place. Where all of the filthiest porn trends from SPN, Kink Meme, and Blindfold fan out into the groundwater, okay? Like, you never want to use Inception fandom. Merlin That's- fandom would also like to disagree. It's and Dresden you. Files. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. How do you um, make porn hot, Hoyden? Yeah, porn hot. <laughs> uh, well, as, as far as, like, the emotional content goes, I mean, uh, I think... This relates to, like, the next part of the question, which is about uh, whether or not you should put quarantine in, whether or not sex should go into your story, and, um, I don't know, I guess the thing is, it's nice when sex serves a story, when, like, characters can have an emotional connection, and... I think that's usually what I'm after. Like, I don't, in my memory at least, I don't think I've ever written straight-up PWPs for, no, not that there is anything wrong with that. I'm all for that. Like, that's that's fine, but that's not something that I'm usually after. So, so the feelings, they happen. Like, the feelings were always going to happen. So literally the question is, how does the sex happen at the same time? And I think the thing is that you as a writer, or at least let me back up and say that I, as a writer, need to be engaged. If you don't think it's hot while you're writing it, it's not going to be hot afterward. You have to be sort of in the moment, and that's what I mean by not getting up to, you know, make a cup of tea because you might sort of lose lose the mood. So I think that I think that porn is one of the most difficult things possible to write because even though you distilled it down to it should it should feel hot but like wrapped up in it should feel hot is like all the body parts have to be in the right places no one can have like an extra arm this isn't some leonardo da vinci conspiracy fucking thing right (laughs) you can't do anything to throw people out of the scene Mm -hmm. so like word choice is enormously important like if you're in the middle of an incredibly hot sex scene and then someone says the word taint, it's going to ruin it, even uh. though people do actually... Co- yeah, see that face you're making? <laughs> That's what I don't want people to be having, like, in the middle of a smut scene. Yeah. So it's it's actually, like, a lot of moving pieces. And it you is. have to just to juggle it. And I think that maybe... I don't know, like, how do you... Do you even think about that anymore when you're writing? Or does it just, like, does it just happen? Does it just flow out of you in this river of smut? That really makes me sound like... I don't know what that makes me sound like, but... Smut river. <laughs> Buckets of cum. <laughs> to bring it back to the original point why would you say that because oh, obsessed. Oh. she and I talk to each other too much listen you know, there are a lot of reasons that I don't write porn and the fact that I say things like buckets of cum is one of them I bet you a thousand dollars I could write buckets of cum into a sex scene and make it hot you could but you know what I could not <laughs> I would be like haha buckets of cum and then I would go make a cup of tea I 
the moving parts and so forth. But yeah, I don't think I do think about that anymore. I think there's a certain degree of trusting myself to relax and go with the flow that's important to me. Mm -hmm. If I ever get to a point where like in the sex scene, I'm like, this is not working or whatever. Like I just stop. Like I just stop there. Like sometimes you're just like, this isn't going to happen today. And this is getting even weirdly more sexual. Yeah. But sometimes it isn't just going to happen today. And you just need to let it go for a while. Yeah. Sometimes it. you're just tired and you need a nap. Sometimes you just had a bad day at work. Okay? Yeah. Sometimes you're just like not in the mood and it's gone from like vaguely interesting to like sort of uncomfortable. Okay. So related. Part three of the question is, would you rather have an author fade to black or porn where porn is due, even if it's not good? Uh, well, okay, we actually had a really long discussion about this. Really? Because so I think start. the answer is fade to black. Uh, here's, I feel like... Just be honest. All right, like, no, I will. Don't even, don't even pretend that you're... I will be honest. And that is that I think usually, particularly when I read a really long story, somehow I just really want sex to be in there. If it's a really long story, I'd like to see sex in there. But I think even more to the point of actually like seeing like a sex scene that I would prefer, I would prefer the suggestion that the characters are going to have lots of sex and it's going to be like really good, like feelings wise and do a fade to black over um, someone writing sex scene that they're not comfortable with. I was going to say meeting the minister doesn't have any sex in it and I don't want sex in it. But there's lots of good feelings and you know that they're. That's exactly it. It's, it's perfect as it is. Like I imagine in some alternate universe, there would be porn added in there and it would be good, but. I don't, I don't want it ruined. I don't want, like, the cuteness of meeting the minister to be ruined. I mean, that's a fair point. Well, like, if the story is focused in a particular way, like, you know, sex doesn't have to be in there for you to get all the good feelings you want out of it, so. But I also agree with you that on a lot of long stories, I really want the sex. Yeah, like, so you sort of get to, like, that. that okay, that so point. as the only person sitting at this table who actually writes ethically long stories, I don't think any story needs sex. Like, anybody who makes the claim that a story, like, has to have sex to work is, like, lying. Like, it's, it's not, like, no, it no. happen. Not saying it has to happen. Just that if a story is over a certain length, I want it. But I've definitely wrecked things before and been like, this story was amazing, right up until the sex scene at the end, which was garbage. So yeah. sometimes fade to black. No, 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 but what I'm saying is that, like, all porn in stories is gratuitous. Like, I don't think any story has ever needed a porn scene, like, which fundamentally makes every plot a plot gratuitous, which is actually fairly accurate as far as I'm concerned. Like, I don't think that any story, like, needs smut. If you want to talk about feelings, like, you can talk about feelings without using the conveyance of smut, you know? So I think that, right, you don't need it, but we can still want it. Like, we can still want it a lot. Right. But uh, all I'm saying is that, like... I, Part of this problem, like, this whole thing where everyone, like, kind of wants porn in stories, I feel pressures a lot of writers into putting porn in stories. A lot of writers, as a generic lot of writers, you don't have to do it. If you're not comfortable writing it, it's probably not that great. And neither you nor I are going to enjoy this the way that we should. So I definitely vote fade to black or just write around it. Like, I yeah. don't think the smut is necessary in any case. It's not necessary, but the thing is, like, if you're sort of, eh, you know, testing the water. Yes. Um, you know, like, definitely, like, show it to some, you know, people whose, you know, opinion you trust. Like, yeah, we were saying this, just because you write it doesn't mean you have to publish it, right? right. Just, like, write it, show it to your friends, show it to your beta, show it to... Yeah. I would say the other option is a non-kink meme. Just post it there yeah. anonymously. You never have to claim it, and you can see what people's reactions are. Um, and that's a good good way to actually get feedback. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you don't want to put yourself out there with that, then that's obviously a good way to, to go ahead and test the waters. And yeah. I know that, so Prue is obviously concerned with people feeling pressure to put things in there 
but I also want to be encouraging. Like, you know, I just kind of think you should go for it if you want to. Prue doesn't want you feel pressured to put things in there. That's a lie. Prue thinks you should suck it up and definitely put things in there. Put all the things. Yeah, but like, don't do it if you're gonna, like, I think it boils down to, like, if you read it and it's, like, garbage, don't put it in there. Like, it will detract from your story. Like, I cannot tell you the number of stories that I've read where I was like, oh, look, someone shoehorned smut into this, and it doesn't need to be there. It detracts from the story, and it's, or, most horribly, it could have been good, but it was not. Nothing ruins a story more than, like, I don't know, a poorly seasoned bucket of cum, let's just say. Oh, God. Love you so much. I know, amazing. That's why we're married. So when I was thinking about uh, both crew and MK had asked two weeks ago we should do this thing and I thought of my rec list and I was like well you know I'm getting ready to go on a plane so what are the kind of fix that I would have with me you know so a rec list roughly entitled oh dear god I'm stuck on a plane um what are the kind of things that you would read for, for comfort they're long that distract you that really pull you in and I came up with three fix mostly off the top of my head and I have to say that actually my e-reader has changed my life we were talking earlier about uh, people mailing fan art in the mail with a stamp, but uh, definitely I used to have like some printed off fic that I would read on the plane when I was stuck. Um, those days happily are long behind us, and fic is easier to I don't know bring with you in great quantities. But there are three fics that I was thinking of for this week that all sort of center around um, world building and also people building lives together, um, building families together with another person not necessarily like there's a child involved but you're definitely forging um relationships and a life together and the three of these are all along and really about like you know two people against the world and the first one is the, the professor's wife by foolish mortal this is a holic fic which is kind of a super amazing uh manga and anime uh about this boy who can see spirits and ghosts and is you know often uh pursued by them and his very stoic counterpart who can make them go away or make them leave him alone for the most part so i remember i read this i read this like in a feverish feverish days i just like kept writing like it's, it's quite long and i got done and the next morning crew messaged me and said i've just read the most amazing fic and i said is it the professor's wife and i believe she inquired as to whether i was a wizard and the answer is yes. Yes, I, ask, I am. I asked if she's a wizard a lot, actually. Yes. That's valid. Um, but it is, in fact, I think the, the ending to the series that all of fandom would have preferred to the actual canonical ending. Fuck you, Clamp! Yeah, fuck you, Clamp. Oh, Clamp, so many feelings. The second wreck I have is for yet another anime fandom. This one, perhaps, even smaller as a, as a fandom. It's for a fandom called Pet Shop of Horrors, and the fic is called Unwilling Sleep by Telenu. This is a fic that the very second I got my e-reader, I asked one of my good friends, Sienna, I said, please tell me, please tell me that you have somewhere already formatted the proper file for Unwilling Sleep. And she said, yes, yes, I do. Because it's basically about uh, a magical pet shop owner who sort of deals out justice and also, well, vengeance against people via magical pets. This sounds way, it's actually way better than I'm making it sound. And this book is about him and the police detective who is investigating all the weird circumstances that surround the pet shop. And the two of them, you know, making the best of a mortal life together. And it's thoroughly charming. And I reread it at least once a year 
Um, so it's really great. And then my last one is called Island Island by Little Black Dog. Uh, it, this is not yet complete yet, so if that's an issue for you, you should um, hold your horses, but I feel certain it's going to be done soon. Uh, that is an X-Men first class fic. Moonclutz is going to make a face. That's all right, though. Wherein uh, Eric is basically an angry fisherman, and Charles, like, washes up in his nets, you know, sort of with no memory of <laughs> face you're making. No, it's really great. And plus, I made that same face. Which you no, okay, let me explain this to you. This fic is like if certain subsections of Do South fandom, i.e. the Canadian Shack and X-Men First Class had a baby, that would be this fic. Because basically it's them like hold up for the winner in Eric's cabin. There is a cat in this fic, which has no name because Eric's like, why would you name a cat? It wouldn't come if you called anyway. It's really great. And then Charles names it anyway because that's how he rolls. So I think those are my recs for this week. They're all pretty great. I'm ashamed to know you. No, you're not. Before I give my recs, I just want a side note here. There's an amazing hashtag thing going on on Twitter right now called hashtag Canadian porn in which they just take Canadian names of things and list them next to the hashtag Canadian porn and they sound like porn. Really? Yeah, it's great. Or they like make porn puns on existing names of Canadian things. Wow. Yeah, you should check it out. Thanks okay. for sharing that okay. It's amazing. Yeah. Someone was like Peter's Man Bridge. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. What is that? Like, explain. Peter Mansbridge is the most famous Canadian broadcaster, essentially. But, like, Peter's Manbridge sounds so good. I don't... Oh. I think you should do your eggs now. And one of them was just do south. Hashtag Canadian porn. Valid. Okay, yeah. so my recs this week, because we're doing author talk, these are actually the recs from Prue and I. Uh, I basically picked four stories that the Hoyden has written that we have loved uh, and not talked about before on Slash Report, so that, you know, if you don't know much about the Hoyden, you can experience the magic for yourself. Uh, so the first one is called Down the Shore, Everything's Alright. It's in Hawaii Five-O fandom, and it is Steve Danny. And uh, the plot is basically that Danny concusses himself, and Steve takes this opportunity to stealth move him into his place and get married. Accurate. That's, that's what happens, and it's beautiful. Like, Danny does not figure out what's happening for a really long time, and it's amazing. Uh, the next one is an Inception story called Insipit which is the Inception Jinjo Romantica AU that you've always wanted, where Eames writes beautiful, award-winning books and smut, and Arthur is his long-suffering editor-slash-muse. It's beautiful. I love that story. I fucking love that story. It's super beautiful. The next one is also an Inception story called Waiting On, in which Eames runs a diner and Arthur always orders the same thing, and then they fall in love. Uh, and so the fourth story is a Merlin story called Misrule, in which Merlin accidentally winds up cross-dressing and makes Arthur win him in order to save him from Uther and everyone else. And it is adorable. Yeah, that's all. I actually, yeah, I actually did, like, a fair amount of research for that story. It was beautiful. We were talking about earlier, but, but the thing was, like, I was doing research and I was like, I have to stop. Like, I have to stop because, because the show, like, eats pigeon sandwiches. Like, I have to let this go. And it was really hard for me, but um, I did my best. Sometimes you have to give up on the weak Googling and just let Merlin take you where it will. Uh, apparently, Merlin took it to wearing dresses and Being one in tournament. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I think the, the line that everyone quotes is like Morgana saying, maybe Arthur won't throw the tournament this year. And uh, yeah, Arthur's not going to throw that tournament. Because he wants a piece of that. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right, I think that's 
everything. Next week, we're going to answer a bunch of questions. Is there anything else we're going to do next week? You can send know. us more bad fake entries. Bad fake food. If you guys send us more bad fake entries, we'll share them with you. Yeah. But also, uh, presumably next week we'll, you know what, guys? It's a mystery. We don't know yet. You'll find out as soon as we figure it out. Yeah. Look how professional we are at this shit. <laughs> Look, we've been <laughs> back in England for just over 24 hours. Cut us some slack. <laughs> yeah, and in that time, I spent like two hours doing Japanese karaoke and being drunk, so. Yeah, yeah. All things considered. It's amazing that we're here at all. I thought that you had been back for less time than that, so. <laughs> oh, okay, that's, that's brutal, man. I hurt you because I love you. I'm angry that I can't mail you chicken pot pie. You could mail me chocolate bars with little bits of apple in them. Could, if I could find more. Although we have a history of, of some food mailing adventures that don't always go well. That's true. One time I mailed Prue, like, a bag of Cheetos while she was living in Shanghai and exploded in transit. She ate them anyway. I totally ate them anyway. Yeah. Nothing could have stopped me from eating those Cheetos. Do you want me to mail you Cheetos? I, yes. We ate Cheetos in Spain. They were not good Cheetos. They were oh not God, good. It was part of, okay, so guys who watch 30 Rock will know this. Do you remember when Liz ate all of those Bodega Sabor de Soledad Cheetos and it fucked up her body chemistry so badly? She thought she was pregnant? No. No. What? Okay, well, I went on, I, I did an experiment when I was in Spain where I bought, like, the worst bodega Cheetos that I could find. Like, they looked cheese-related, and they had, like, a sun on the package. My body still doesn't think it's pregnant, though. So, oh. she gave it a good try, though. A really good try. Not totally successful, sadly. Well, I'm glad that you gave it a shot. Yeah, 100%, man. 100% yeah. effort. Then nice. there were, like, the, the football Cheetos. Those were not good. Then there were the football Cheetos that tasted like fish. Yeah, that was an unpleasant surprise. I did not like that. I mean, we did stuff other than eat in Spain, but I, for not a lot. We don't, really, we don't really remember what it was. Yeah. I regret leaving you two alone. <laughs> we have to end this. Yeah. Is that going to be your customary sign-off from now on? Yeah. Yeah, from now on, I'm only ending the episode when I get to the point where I'm like, we have to end this. <laughs> well, thank you so much for hanging out with us last week and for doing Author Talk this week. Thank you for having me on Slash Report once again. Mm, that was good times. Yay. And Kate, thank you for wearing some clothes while we recorded. Some. 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 One. One clothes. <laughs> we have to end this now. We have to end this. Um, we'll see you all next week when there will be fewer buckets of semen but more terribleness what no I'm not coming on if there are fewer buckets of semen okay more buckets of semen good deal done and I'm gonna end this bye everybody bye